Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams. And with my coaching, manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach Andrew. If you're listening live and you have a question and you want to participate, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone, and if you press the number one, I'll know you have a question. And we also have a live chat room right on the show page where you can also feel free to participate. My guest tonight is Gretchen Reinhagen. Next up, in fact, in my series of conversations with cabaret pop musicians, Gretchen is a multi-award-winning artist, receiving the coveted Triple Crown of Cabaret Awards in 2010, the Nightlife Award, the Bistro Award, and the Mac Award. As both a singer and an actress, she's performed in a broad range of theaters and concert halls, from the House of Blues in New Orleans to the Assembly Rooms in Edinburgh, Scotland, to professional theater credits, including Janis Joplin and Beehive, Louise Seagar, and always Patsy Klein, Domina, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, the narrator and Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and the lead role of the therapist in the premiere of Mother Me Therapy at the world-famous Cherry Lane Theater in New York. And with no further ado, because I'm tired of the ado, uh, Gretchen, are you with me? I am. How are you? I'm, I am good. I am good. And where are you tonight? Oh, my my pleasure. I'm actually, uh, I just finished up uh, working, and uh, I am home, calling from home. Okay, and and where is home for you? Home is uh, uptown Manhattan, Washington Heights. I did not know that. I I could probably see you from my window. (laughs) Oh, where are you at? I'm up up near Columbia Presbyterian. Okay, we're not not too, too far from there. That's pretty funny. Here here I thought you were in Brooklyn or something. You seem you like know, a Brooklyn I was, kind of uh, I, I did start um, in Brooklyn when I first moved to the city mm-hmm. many years ago, and um, I moved out because I wanted a bigger place, and Brooklyn was uh, becoming so trendy. I needed, um, I couldn't get a bigger space uh, for what I could afford in Brooklyn, and at the time, Washington Heights was still um, very affordable. So got an apartment, um, you know, about three times the size of the one I had in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, and that was really what, it was hard. I loved Brooklyn. I gotta, I gotta say, I loved living in Brooklyn. That was a big move for me. Yeah, and then Brooklyn, when I moved into, uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, a lot of Brooklyn was a place you wouldn't go to. Right, sure. You couldn't get a cab driver. Right. Even to go, even to the, what we now call the the good parts. Maybe, maybe they'd go to Brooklyn Heights. Right. They thought they might see Dr. Huxtable there or something. Right. Right. I used to always wait until um, I got in the car and closed the door before I would tell them where I was going. Well, that you know that makes you a real New Yorker because that is how <laughs> how we do it here. Because we know you yeah. don't say, "Excuse me, would you be yeah. willing to drive me to uh, the worst part right. of New York City?" That's right. Especially when I when we first when the first apartment was out in Midwest, it's almost all the way to Coney Island. You know, and it's like you tell them you're going, you want to take Ocean Parkway, like they roll yeah. down their window and you tell them and it's like they just, you know, they zoom away as fast as they can. You didn't try so, saying, yeah, yeah but Woody Allen with the school here, that that might have uh, helped. Yeah. 
Yep, nobody was in the mood to drive out there, so uh, uh, you had to be crafty. Yeah. So, well, anyway, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're. Uh, you're here in the in the, in Upper Manhattan, where yes. it's, it's another it's another cool world. I don't care about anyone. It says. really is. It really is. It has grown on me quite a bit, and yeah. uh, I love living up here. And that it's beautiful park. Yeah. yeah. You know what we need up here, don't you? We need some uh, some rooms rooms for people like you. Oh yeah, you know there's not. I mean, there's um there's some rooms kind of far. There's certainly some stuff on the Upper West Side, and then there's a room, and I'm blanking. It's like on 110th or so, or 116th somewhere in there, and that's about as far up as I know. Yeah, and that's yeah, you know really like below stuff. Columbia even. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have anything. Uh, there's nothing up in the Heights and Inwood. And uh, lot, lots of, like, happening places are ha- happening uh, up here. And so I think probably that's going to be around the corner is some I sort of a room. So. I mean, there are, there are some pubs in the in the neighborhood that are that were trying live music at different times. And, yeah, I think you might be right. Maybe it's just a matter of, a matter of time because it's certainly a, um, an artist-filled neighborhood for sure. Well, we can have we can go from below fifty four to way above fifty four. Way above fifty four. That's yeah. right. That's, that's what I think we'll that, call it. I like that. That yeah. that works out. And you know, I mean, we had a Starbucks, so that was always the uh, that was the sign. It was you know you could move in. Yeah, when Starbucks I got a Starbucks right downstairs, I I said <laughs> I, I finally I've I, I've made it. Looks like you know I've made that's it right. after all, like the, as a Mary <laughs> Tyler Moore would say. <laughs> Very exciting for me. I can you know, let a bucket down and, and with a note latte, please. And that's right. That's right. They should actually start that. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, it would be. You know, and I'm sure there's an app for that. There probably is. Yes. There probably is. So, so let's let's try to get serious if if we possibly can. All and, right. And, and it's okay if we don't because I enjoy this. All but, right. Uh, so you you have um, you know I, I didn't really talk about your whole background here because I want I didn't want to do a a five minute introduction but you actually have a, a very interesting history and I know that you've done uh, teaching and you've done a few things before yeah. you found your way to where you are now and I'd like to hear a little it's bit a about that big city yeah um, uh, I you know my dad is a singer and um, he sang in the clubs when I was very young. He had a band in the um, in the 60s and 70s, a couple different bands, and, and that was really his thing. And um, and then he kind of stopped that um, probably by the time, I want to say by like the mid to late 70s, he, he stopped playing with the bands, but they were always involved in theater. He was a music educator. My mom's whole family was, uh, uh, her dad was a music educator. That's you know they they were and they were all in education in some form or or another. So that was kind of the the day job. And um, but they stayed involved in community theater. And so um, by the time I really started getting involved, I had a you know, fair amount of of outlets um, and was encouraged to do all that stuff. So I I was kind of always either doing a show or making music in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, from the time I was very young, and and when I uh, when I got older and found my way to college, um, and I landed in a I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go the theater route and or the music route, and um, I ended up at Pepperdine in the music department and figure scholarship, so that made it an easy choice. Nice. Um, but I really kind of always thought of myself more as a music major, but again, the opportunities to still do theater and other things existed, so. Um, I continued, and I was performance major. wasn't really planning to teach, but 
um, after college, kind of the first, I was given an opportunity to teach uh, elementary and, and eventually high school as well music. Um, and I did that for a number of years before I said, okay, I really, I need to kind of get back and on track of what I was doing and uh, and give this a shot. So, you know, packed my bags and headed to New York. And I think I've been here about, I think I, I want to say 17 years now. Mm. Is what I counted recently, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, and just, you know, cer- certainly was doing theater um, when I first came. I think a lot of people come to New York for that purpose and, and found opportunities to do that. Um, ended up kind of also needing some various day jobs, and, and I'd always loved cabaret, and that was something that I could uh, continue to do and um, and still have my day job and sing every night. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, I sort of found my way into the cabaret world where I think I'm probably most at home over the last, um, oh, I don't even know how many years now. Um, I think it's 10. Well, so, and, and, and you're actually leading me to an area already that I uh, I want to ask you about is sure is what uh, what is cabaret and I'm this is you know when when I ask you a question it may not be because I need the answer but I'm asking on behalf of whoever's listening sure. so what makes cabaret cabaret versus another type of entertainment I've heard so many different definitions. Um, uh, it is not, you know, um, like the the movie or the Broadway show. Play. It is not. Uh, there's no pole dancing involved. I know sometimes, you know, I don't know what people have their various definitions of what cabaret is. And by the um, way, you had a little to, break there had, while you were speaking. There was a little break. Oh. And uh, did you mention the show cabaret? Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's, it's people have their their. Uh, sort of idea of what it might be. Right. Um, and that's, that show is certainly um, probably something that, that kind of forms those ideas. I think a lot of people think of it in a different way. The best way I can describe it mm-hmm. is uh, there is, it, it's a live performance in a small and intimate space. I think it's the room that kind of finds it. Um, there is no fourth wall. It is just you as yourself, not right. playing a character per se. Um it is just you up there in a room, and, and what I think is kind of special about cabaret is it's really an intimate experience. Um, as I said, there's no fourth wall, but unlike a, a big concert venue, uh, your audience has a chance to sit, you know, just a few feet away from you in a sure. room where they're maybe only sharing um, with an audience of of some rooms, 40 and to 100 people, mm-hmm. um, depending on the size of the room. And there's that that communication that happens between the audience and and the performer uh, that I think for me it's what defines it's what defines the art form that and and there's a a freedom to create and and communicate uh, a lyric in sort of a, a a myriad of ways that it that you take it in and that you understand it and what it means to you. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. I think that can certainly be done on the concert stage. Mm-hmm. So, and I've seen artists that really that handle both venues very well and are very similar regardless of, of what venue they're performing in. Um, but, yeah, I, it's that intimacy for me that really kind of defines it. People used to define it, I think, by a particular period of, 
of music. A lot of people uh, would talk about the Great American Songbook. Sure. And which was anything from you know the the Tin Pan Alley era up through mm-hmm. the, the early sixties. Um, but I think that what it has become today is is much broader than that. I think uh, artists performing today would feel it's broader. Sure. Uh, a few years back, I got to, I, I mentioned this on the last show I did. I, a few years back, I got to take a master performance class with Marilyn May, who is... Oh, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, you know, she's in her late 80s and still... Yeah. She's like to, you know, female Tony Bennett. She is still yeah. powerful, strong, teaching, singing, performing. Absolutely. And uh, it was very, very exciting and... Um, the thing, one of the things that she said that had really stood out for me was she was talking about this, and she goes, ah, cabaret. I, I, I didn't know about cabaret. I, I, I worked nightclubs. Right. That was her word. Right. And, uh, it's, it, and it's sort of a, a, both a different time, but also like I, I think it evokes a di- – like when I hear nightclub, it, mm-hmm. it, I hear a different thing than when I hear cabaret. Sure, sure, and I think that's true for a lot of people. But I think what we – Think of as cabaret now is certainly what, uh, when we think back to sort of the era of the great supper clubs like the Bon Soir, um, mm-hmm. these were rooms, you know, and even the Oak Room that closed not so long ago, um, I, these really were sort of what I consider the, the, the cabaret rooms of, of their day. Um, but yes, they certainly called night, and many people will still you know, uh, refer to them as, as nightclub acts. Um, and I think it's just kind of what your preferred vernacular is and, and how you see them. Mm-hmm. Now, now if, I, if I were to lend you my time machine, mm-hmm. which is, it's in the shop, but it'll, it'll be back last Tuesday. Terrific. I will borrow yeah. it. For sure. So I, if I were to lend it to you, uh, what club, uh, what club, cabaret, nightclub, you name it, do you wish you could go back into time and, and do a show? I would probably have to say the Bonsoir or the Blue Angel, but uh, yeah, there was there's something about that, and you know, and I'm also a huge Kate Ballard fan, and that was sort of the room where she um, got her start, and uh, to be able to be a part of that, you know, the time and 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 uh, that club would would be pretty amazing to me. Yeah, I would. I would definitely be fine taking a trip there. Nice. Well, I'll see if I could, uh, you know, I'll make an arrangement if I possibly can. <laughs> I'm not even sure what it is now. I feel like I I looked it up. I was trying to find sort of the original address. I, you know, I think it's like a real estate <clears throat> office or something. I, you know, I don't know well, what's gone away of so many. A lot of things, like the addresses. Paramount Theater is an office sure. building. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it'd be changed. It's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. But, but it's okay, Ballard. Uh, so that she would. So is she one of your biggest influences? Oh, I think so for sure, for sure. Because she she introduced so much more music than people even realize. You know, I mean, she was the first person to ever record "Fly Me to the Moon." Um, people think of her. People who know her, they know her for a couple of things. She certainly made you know. Uh, a gazillion television appearances. Um, uh, the, the show, The Tonight Show, all of those shows for quite some time. She was on the Perry Como show mm-hmm. as a cast member for a long time. And then a lot of people know her 
um, from the mothers in law sitcom that she did. And and, and, and that's the yeah. first thing, by the way, which it shows you how that I'm not 29 after all. But it's the first thing when I think of her, I think of I remember that TV the show. The mothers in law. Yeah. yeah. I, a lot of people do, and um, which I think is what sort of gained her her uh, her biggest amount of fame, kind of across the board. Um, New York uh, cabaret lovers um, that have been around quite some time, and Broadway lovers are are certainly familiar with her nightclub career, and she played mm-hmm. every club there was. Um, and and she's you know done a fair amount. She got her start on Broadway and and in the clubs. Um, you know, she did Lazy Afternoon. Uh, Lazy Afternoon is from the Golden Apple, so she was the first person to sing that, and that was in '54, and it put her on the cover of mm. Life Magazine. So that was, you know, that was a big. Um, that's a that's a huge part of her career, and that's the part of her career that probably influences me the most. Um, what resonates with me is that she is still uh, this incredible comedian, um, yet with this with this wonderful voice that while she certainly sang a lot of funny and wonderful special material, um, you know, her rendition of songs like Maybe This Time uh, or My Man, you know, are gut-wrenching and and incredible. So that's certainly, yeah, she's absolutely one of my biggest influences for sure. And uh, who are some others? Uh, I have such a kind of eclectic mix. Um, as I've gotten older, it's changed. When I was younger, of course, I was a huge Streisand fan. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and I think she was a really big influence for me um, as a teenager in particular. Um, a, a family member turned me on to Sarah Vaughn, and I remember just listening to recording after recording of her and just being in love with, with that voice. Um, and I think as I got older, uh, well, what, you know, when I moved to New York, for sure, and you started to, it's such a small world, and when you're working in the clubs, you kind of end up meeting and and uh, getting to know, or, or like you said, take a class with Marilyn May, right? right. And these people start to become more accessible, um, and you start crossing paths, and, and, and I cross paths with Karen Mason, and I always mention her as, as one of a as a big influence for me, and she also has uh, I'm fortunate enough to have gotten to know her on a personal level, and she's somebody mm-hmm. I consider a very dear friend. Which is kind of an amazing thing about living in New York. You know, it's such a small world. Um, because I certainly listened to her Broadway recordings before I came to New York, and mm-hmm. um, she's another one with a big, you know, uh, this this great, gorgeous voice, and, and somebody that I really can relate to. Um, as an artist and somebody whose voice I just, you know, I can listen to her for hours. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a broad range for me. And, you know, and then I was a big Janis Joplin fan. So, I mean, it doesn't get broader than that. And, and my, you know, I think of Janis Joplin, I tend to think of her, um, either her voice being so, um, you know, raw. Right. Um, and uh, I remember... <laughs> This is one of these little memories that just popped into my head. Why, uh, when she was on the Ed Sullivan show, right? Again, showing that I'm I, I don't believe me when I say I'm 29, <laughs> but um, I remember very vividly watching. She came on Ed Sullivan, watching it with my parents, and my mother was so perplexed. Both of my parents were very perplexed, right? By like they didn't get her at all, right? 
and um and then i you know i i always liked of course um um her most probably most famous song me and bobby mcgee right and, and um but it's so it's always interesting to me when somebody who is of a uh, a softer let's say singer yeah um yeah. and that and so i'm i'd love to hear a little bit more about that as an influence well, I ended up, you know, you mentioned in the introduction that I got to play, uh, that I did a show called Beehive, and that is a show that is um, all about women uh, singers of the 60s. And so one of the tracks that I got to cover in that show was a big set of Janis Joplin, where I got to play Janis Joplin. And I you know, certainly knew who she was, but I hadn't, like, you know, like you, like your mom, I kind of was a little perplexed until I really started to listen to her. Um, and all of a sudden it just, it really started to pay attention and it just kind of started to get inside me and I, I, I kind of tried to get a hold of everything I, I could of hers and, um, and Pearl, I think I've listened to a million times. Um, and, uh, I just, there's something about the way she embodies her music, you know, that, and, and like you said, this raw, but it's, it's, it's this pure abandonment that she has. There's there's no fear. There's just a total commitment to what she's trying to communicate, regardless of, you know, what it looks like, what it sounds like, how it comes across. And I think that there's a, a longing and a power in that that resonates and that resonated with many, many thousands of people to make her the star that, that she became, um, and it's just if she could, you know, what we try to accomplish in a cabaret room. I talked about that intimacy um, and that feeling like you were getting to know somebody. Mm-hmm. She could sort of do that on stage with an audience of twenty thousand out in the field listening. You know, it, it, she's remarkable, um, and that fearlessness on stage, that power and that commitment, that that was a real um a real draw for me, for sure. Um did you ever see her um uh on YouTube you can find an entire yeah. show she did with Dick Cavett. It, on I television. think I, I did see that and I'm I'm blanking on it a little bit, but yeah, I I've been a while since I've gone through some of those clips. It's very interesting because she almost like vibrated. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. She kind of she was always sort of vibrating on her own on her own frequency, a little above the rest. Yeah. A little out out of sync, and yet really standing out in a in a powerful way. And then she would talk about how she could, uh, you know, have this. One of her famous quotes is on stage: "I make love to twenty five thousand people, and I go home alone." And uh, really had this dichotomy of drawing in these the masses into what she was doing, and then being uh, known to be a, a lonely person as well, uh, which is remarkable to me. But I want to circle back a little bit, um, you know, because yeah. you mentioned um, uh, that Kay Ballard was uh, yeah. her version of. Uh, did you say my man? Did I? Yeah, did I hear that? Did a whole. That's right. She had a whole album of Danny Bryce material. And then you, okay, um, when I, I recently saw you at the Metropolitan Room in New York, yes. and you did a, a several Fanny Bryce songs, and you're telling me yes. that 
Streisand was a big influence. And one of the things that really struck me about you is that uh, you, know, you took some songs that are mm-hmm. so identified with very specific singers, you know, where you might say a Streisand right. song right, or a right. San Sinatra song, you know, that sure. where the song, the singer did not write the song, and yet you think of it as their song. And you took yeah, a song sure. that was so identified uh, and and found a, a your your place for it that was nothing like theirs. And, and, and showing on an entirely different perspective, uh, uh, which, which kind of opened my eyes to the, you know, the, that possibility that you don't sure. necessarily have to be married to that favorite version. Right, right. Um, and it's hard because, you know, we fall in love with a, there, we fall in love with a song for a variety of reasons, but certainly the recording of a particular song is a, is a big part of that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody who loves Streisand's version of My Man, for example, it's not just the song they loved, it, it was her rendition that they loved. Sure. Um, it was her rendition that they knew, and, and, and so it's so identifiable. Um, and her... The rendition that we did was closer to um, the way Kay sang the song. She sort of very purposely sang it. Um, it, it was much more square and mm-hmm. uh, much more straightforward. Um, and, and Fanny Bryce sang it that way. I mean, I have a recording of Fanny Bryce singing it that's just gut-wrenching. Um, and without the sort of amazing uh, dynamic that, that Streisand is known for, that, mm-hmm. that she executes brilliantly um and those are hers and we wanted to yeah. treat the song um really just as as the song itself and the power that existed in in the simplicity of what was there musically but also in that lyric which is quite a powerful lyric um i really and, and i was hesitant you know we first did it uh years ago when we were putting together um uh, the k show for the first time mm-hmm. And we had that whole set that you heard in that show was part of that special opening night. We did a two-act version of the show, and that was part of it. And um, we made a real point to change that arrangement. Uh, but it was it was scary to do so. It's, it's you know, it's tough to take songs that are so iconic um, because sometimes it, you know, works out beautifully and, and people appreciate your arrangement of it. Uh, and other times, you know, an audience has a harder time getting past not hearing what they're expecting to hear, and those are kind of the risks you take as an artist. Mm-hmm. You don't always know what's going to um, you don't always know what's going to land until you put it out there and see what happens. <laughs> well, you know, I really felt also that your 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 background in acting uh, mm-hmm. played a, a large role in in how you delivered that, so that I sure. I got this you know, the story, because for me, a lot of about what music is about is the story, the, the, the emotion, the, right. uh, the message, the, you know, the words are, uh, to me, uh, actually more important than the, than the melody. Yeah. For me personally. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. Um, it, it means a lot to me to know that, that, uh, what I'm trying to communicate, you know, is coming through or that people are able to, to hear it in, uh, even in their own, through their own story. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate hearing that. I think, you know, going back even to your question of what is cabaret, that's something that 
that people talk about a lot is the lyric, and that was hard for me because I was always kind of music first. I mean, like I said, there's a reason we fall in love with certain things, and I loved everything that Streisand was doing, and I love a, a haunting melody, and I love a beautiful piano arrangement, mm-hmm. um, all the Michelle Legrand stuff. If, you know, the Bergmans wrote some, some really wonderful lyrics, but some of the the, the uh, scores that he set to those are just so so gorgeous, and I certainly fell in love with a melody for for a long time, um, and it took me uh, sort, of, sort of rethinking to, to start to wrap my head around a lyric first and foremost. Um, and I think they both, if there's, there's, you know, they both go together. Um, oh, absolutely. You need, I mean, you need a love of both of them for sure, but um, yeah, it, it was a freeing thing, actually, as an artist to to be able to really embrace the lyric. It was a freeing thing musically, interestingly enough. Can you repeat that, that last line? It was a, it, it was a freeing, it, it's kind of freeing to be able to really embrace the lyric, but it ends up being freeing um, musically as, as well, interestingly Oh, well, tell enough. me more about well, that. Just, you know, you, you stop being married to when you... When you Stop sort of being about what um, what's happening in the piano, for, for instance, and you let that instrument do its job, and then you can kind of have this freedom to lay over it this melody line interpreted in the way that you know you're hearing the lyric, and it starts to soar musically as well, and the two parts kind of come together and complement each other, as opposed to one being sort of washed into the other which I, I, I've i seen happen. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, I love it. I love digging in. Well, I want to, uh, what, like, informs your choices, both in terms of the material and how you are approaching a song? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. It it, it depends, um, I suppose, on the song and, and what I'm looking for, um, I, I think it's, I usually spend some time sitting with the lyric and kind of going through it again and again and trying to sort of figure out what it is that I'm that I'm trying to say. Um, and that will certainly inform my choices in terms of phrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's all it all kind of is part and parcel, I think, that ends up informing my choices. When I have an idea of what it is that I'm trying to say or communicate, that'll start to inform my musical choices as well. Um, Whether I feel that something is big and belty or if I want to take something and really reduce it to something very quiet, it's definitely, um, I think it's lyric first. I think that informs me first. And, and then from there, now, now who, who arranges your, your songs? I work with a few people, actually, so it kind of depends on what I'm doing. You mm-hmm. know, when I say that, and and I, I'm thinking about the fact that I also have, you know, I did a blues show with a, my friend Tracy Stark, who does a lot of arrangements for me, and I did a 70s show. And definitely in some of those, I mean, there's something about a, a, a great, blues groove that just gets inside you that certainly also informs your choices. So it kind of kind of depends on what kind of music you're looking for. 
Um, but when it comes to the more sort of rock and blues stuff, Tracy, who uh, was that, who plays the show that you saw, yes, um, she does a lot of arranging for me. Um, my director, Barry Kleinbord, um, does a lot of arranging for me, and he works very closely with whatever musical director I'm I'm working with, um, and. Uh, he and that musical director and myself, the three of us, will often collaborate on on uh, what we want that song and that arrangement to be. So, And as a director, I do that as well. So I definitely have a lot of input in my arrangements in terms of um, sort of the nitty-gritty musicality of it um, and the chord structure and, and, and the grooves and, and all of those wonderful things I will leave to the expertise of the musical director. But in terms of dynamics, and structure of the of the arrangement and uh, and all of that. I have a lot of I do a lot of that uh, myself and or do a lot of collaborating on that. And tell me about this the blues show that you did. The blues show um, we first did that in two thousand nine, and it was an all women band, and I got the whole band back again, which was very exciting. When uh, we redid it again this past April. Um, and the title song was Almost Blue. I like having themes that are a little broader so I can kind of leave myself room so not everything had to be blues. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. almost blue. Um, but it certainly had a fair amount of either blues, like a true blues, like Stormy Monday, um, one that I wrote myself with Tracy, um, and then some stuff that that uh, either had a, a gospel theme or a blues theme, we for this this year when we revamped the show, we took um, we did this blues medley that uh, was definitely an R-rated medley. Um, <laughs> all it was all stuff that we pulled out of like off of YouTube and old recordings, and all these recordings were from the 20s and 30s, and uh, it was really quite something. It was the other side of the of the blues world, so we had a lot of fun with it. Well, you know, when I listen to those old, old blues songs from the 20s, yeah. and I hear lines like, you know, references to things like Tootsie Roll and yes. shaking oh, yes. you, the yes. you know, peaches off the tree. and Yes, and they, these Jelly are all Roll. Ain't nobody going to take that out of my Jelly Roll. That was a big one. Yeah, well, there's Jelly Roll Morton, and the, the, which is yeah. like lewd, uh, lewd uh, name for a store, but yes. we wouldn't even yes. notice that today, probably. Right, and that certainly ended up in the... I don't know. You know, when I did that medley, um, my mother was in the audience. I was a little worried about it, but she made it through. Uh, even some of that stuff from the 20s left uh, but, you know, left a few people gasping, but it was, well, it, was, there, uh, it, was good fun. it was good fun. There's a, there's a band, a blues band, I saw many years ago. I think they're still around, and it was called the Papa Chubby Band. Mm-hmm. And the guy who led the band, he called himself Papa Chubby, which is, well, you know, oh, I'm not going to spell it out, but <laughs> most of you kids out there could probably figure it out, kind of like Jelly Roll and Tootsie yeah, Roll. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's it's funny, the stuff they were getting away with, and uh, or not getting away with. I don't know that these were necessarily the songs you were going to find on well, the jukebox. They did for a it's while, a and then job. you know, people like uh, not Betty Boop, but her, her um, Helen Kane, and yeah. um, the kinds of things that you would see. And then, and then they started to have to uh, have this little code because right. those things were being played in the movie theaters and 
That's when they came up yeah. with all those codes and little censorship. That's right. Oh no, this is very this is very uh, innocent. Absolutely, I don't know what you were thinking. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's I was. I'm thinking great. of cut tissue rolls because I was a kid, you know, and yeah. you know we just had trick or treat. Of course. Of yeah, course. that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's a ticket. Too, right? Yeah. So, so did you, did did the uh, song "Good Thing Blues" come from this show? It did. It did. So, uh, it came from um, the first time we did the show. We did it again uh, this year. Um, and and Tracy had said to me, I said, "We got to have at least one real." I don't think we did Stormy Monday at that time. And I said, "We we got to have at least one real kind of." traditional 12-bar blues. And she said, yeah. well, what if we write our own? And I said, okay. So she came up with the hook, um, uh, Just Can't Get Enough of a Good Thing, and I wrote the rest of the lyric. And what ended up happening was she, so she, we finished the song, and, and she just plays what I sing, and it, and it comes together beautifully. And we get into the band rehearsal, and, and she hands me the chart, or she, she emailed me the chart to print out for the band. And the chart was called 13 bar blues and i said why is it a 13 what are you talking about she said gretchen you wrote a 13 bar blues i said well that's not possible i wrote i said 12 lines of lyrics for each verse think of all most blues songs right where they have like maybe two sentences per verse Mm -hmm. Um, i wrote 12 and uh you know so it's a very wordy blues and then, so she goes through, plays the whole thing, and then there's this one extra bar. And I said, well, that doesn't count. That's like transition to get back to the yeah. top of the church. She said, no, Gretchen, that, that counts. You wrote a 13-bar blues. Okay. So we well, you could, call yeah, it you could also call it the Baker's Dozen Blues. Yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to change it. I like that. That's good. Baker's answer. Dozen Blues. That's right. <laughs> That's <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I, I just happen to have a copy here of All right. Good Thing Blues, and it's a good thing I do because uh, good thing it, it is because one of the one of the rules here on Blog Talk Radio is like I I can't play the usual kinds of music, but I can play your song. It's really kind of cool. Yeah. And also cool. I can also Thank play you. if you want to do really old songs. Every year we have new songs entering the public domain. I think we're up to nineteen twenty two right. or three. Okay. So uh, within, right, within seven years, we're going to be hitting the main but... stuff. Yeah, absolutely. God, that's, that's yeah, crazy. we can make all kinds of albums. And <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love but it. until then, let's. I'm going to play a song by you. Cool. And uh, at the end of the show, by the way, I'm going to play this going out, and I think I'm going to play along with it because I can't help myself. Love it. I love it. Okay. I don't know if anybody will hear me, but I'm going to enjoy myself. So here is Good Thing Blues. Two, but I kept on looking for love Cause I just can't 
That was live. Cool. Yeah, I heard a little uh, yeah, audience was. there in the end. Yes, it was. That was from our first. Uh, that was from our first uh, performance of that show back in 2009. Yeah. Did you play along? No, I'm going to do that on the end of the show, and uh, when we when we go out, I'm going to I'm going to play it again, Sam. I'm going to play it uh, okay. and uh, and play along with it. I was just I'm kind where, of listening. What are you going to play? I'm just going to. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm going to play with guitar. I have a little uh, guitar here, and I'm going to play some uh, some lead. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's great. That is an Um, instrument that I uh, love and never tried to pick it up a couple times, but it's not my thing, but I love it. I uh, yeah I am entirely self-taught. I'm pretty decent at it, and I have a. It's called the one I have here is called the Jim Dandy by Gretsch, which is. uh, Well, then I should definitely be playing guitar. Oh yeah, especially if you're gonna do some blues. And this is a this this is designed. This guitar is designed for like it's based on those like imagine some couple of guys sitting on a porch down south, you know, having some yes. lemonade and going, okay, yes. let's let's do some blues, man. What do you know? Okay, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll play along with my guitar. So it's that kind of guitar. It's a <laughs> little bit it. small. Just, yeah. It's it's. It's it's a we can tell you get to sit around and play all day and I and I I often have it just sitting there with me. I don't know if you noticed when you um when you came to my last show the guitar that Tracy played in one number was this it's this tiny little guitar and she brings it to rehearsal and it's like what the heck do you have and I guess it's called a vagabond guitar. Well, and you know this is kind of kind of like yeah gorgeous sound. Yeah. Is that kind of like this one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I have a, you know, this jumbo 12 string that I uh, I often play which is huge, oh, nice. a big guitar and the, I always say the 12 string makes you makes you sound twice as good. 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah. Wow, that must have been hard to pick up. With the twelve string. Yeah. Well, it's just harder to you know a little bit harder to play because you have to really uh, dig in. Uh, yeah. You know, and then what's really fun is playing lead on a twelve string because now you really. Yeah. But there was a guy, uh, two people who made that famous, uh, George Harrison, from the sure, Beatles. Yeah. And Roger McGuinn, and they had, in fact they had the identical twelve string Rickenbacker. Wow. And that, that iconic sound of the twelve string rock and roll guitar. That's where they that right. comes from. That's pretty cool. That's my little trivia for for that today. Pretty cool. I love it. I love it. So you know what I'd like to talk about in our in our yeah. uh, as we we're getting co- towards the end, um, I'd like you to describe. This is more of like a technical question that is for somebody looking to go into a world like this. There's a term called setting yeah. a show, and uh, a term so, called. I'm sorry. Say that again. Setting a show. I go. We need to setting set a show. show. Okay. So when you when you're first starting out and you're creating your your first cabaret show what what is what does somebody do i think there's a few ways to go about it sometimes um when somebody comes to me wanting to create a new show um sometimes they have an idea in mind already a particular theme um i had a client that did uh, a tribute to carol burnett a couple of years ago and knew that um, so we knew that that really was going to be all music from her career. Um, so we started with something like that. I had another client who wanted to do a show that was all movies, uh, songs from the movies. Um, and that one is, was a little broader. I mean, we sat down and it was, you know, make me a list of every song from the movies that you love. Um, sometimes when people are doing their first shows, I will tell them to just, you know, to just come in and, and make me a list of all the stuff that they really love or that they really want to sing, and let's start playing with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and what ends up happening is the, the show will kind of present itself at some point. Um, uh, I had a client who um, last year we did a show, and we it was all based on, it was popular music based on classical themes, and he had a classical background. And, and when we when he and I first got together, you know, he had a bunch of ideas for stuff he wanted to do and a bunch of different songs that he loved. And, and this kind of theme wasn't anywhere, you know, on the horizon for us at that point. And uh, when we went into the room with David Gaines, who played the show, and we started playing through all these things, and we started talking about, you know, uh, Mark's musical background um, and his gorgeous, his gorgeous, legit voice. And this idea of all of these classical themes kind of came out of those, out of those rehearsals. So I, I think that there's no sort of tried and true way um, other than to, if he's got a very specific idea, we'll sit down and talk about the music that supports that idea for sure. But I like to let things kind of present themselves organically and um, and I find that, that the artist ends up feeling a real connection to their music that way. Well, I know that I, you know, I've been to a, a number of shows where I've gotten to learn things that I never would have thought of, thought about. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe a, a focus on a particular songwriter. Sure. Uh, who, who I didn't even know wrote as much. Like I went recently to Linda Cossett's show at the um, Don't Tell Mamas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Green. Right. The music of Johnny Green. And I'm like, I'm right. familiar with Johnny Green. But I, I want to tell you that out of her entire show, I, I only knew of maybe two songs. Yeah, I only knew a few of those as well. 
Um, and yeah, some I of them were songs that, that I, 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 I think Seal was the only one who did them ever, maybe. Right, aside, right, Aside right. from Johnny Jane. Right. I saw that show, too, and I thought, um, I thought that it was, uh, that even her pattern and the information that she had about him was, was rather fascinating. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good show. It, it, it gets you not just to listen to these tunes, and of course, because there are some that we definitely know, we have that, we can have that moment as an audience member where we're kind of going, oh, yes, that one. Um, and it's kind of this cool thing to be able to identify it, but at the same time, we're, we're learning things that, uh, that are interesting about, about this composer. So, um, and at the same time, what was strong about that show is that I thought Linda was very much a part of it, as opposed to it all being just about the composer, mm-hmm. definitely understood why it resonated with her. And there was still a lot of her in that show, and that's always a big thing for me. Um, as both a director and, a, and an audience member, that's one of the things I'm kind of looking for. Um, is because I want to know who that artist is as well. Uh, I thought she had a good blend of both. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and you're on a, a bunch of different ends of of this business. You're a performer, director. Um, uh, you teach. You uh, yeah. Uh, so tell me, like, give me a short list of the things that you do, and then we're going to talk about how people can find you and what okay. you're up to next. Um, I teach voice, and I um, I also teach a weekly cabaret class that's a very uh, um, sort of open, casual, open-to-anybody kind of class um, on Sundays. And then I also direct people's cabarets and in terms of my own. I got myself doing a lot of performing this year because I was doing a lot of teaching and directing and not as much performing um, in the last uh, well, a couple of years ago. And I've been making myself get out there and perform a lot uh, this year as well. So, um, yeah, I think those are, the, those are the three big things, teaching, directing, and performing for me. That's great. So and where, and where, where can people find you? Uh, the best way to, to find me is to go to my website, which is just GretchenRyanHagen.com. And um, I have a studio page with information about uh, teaching and contact information there. And um, I tend to bounce around to a couple of studios in Midtown when I, when I work. Um, so it's, people can reach out to me and I will get back to them directly um, and go from there. That's kind of the best way. Okay, great. So you may not know this, but people have listened to this from all over the world because once oh, we're done, cool. this becomes a podcast. And I've had people contact me from anywhere from California to Saudi Arabia, believe it or not. I've had wow. I've That's had all cool. kinds of interesting listen, listeners who have contacted me about this show. So you never know. It will be on okay. uh, iTunes uh, in a few minutes after the show is okay. over. So let's talk about uh, you have uh, another show at, at uh, coming up at the Metropolitan Room this week. Yep. And yep. also, if you could just give me your, like, what's the whole connection with that room around what you're doing at this moment? The the room uh, I've played a few times. A few of the shows were originated in that room. And they had approached me about uh, bringing back um, the Kay Ballard show. And uh, I had had this idea to sort of bring back a few of the shows and, and Joseph Macchio is one of the booking managers there. And I um, talked about this and I decided I wanted to do this entire series this year of all shows from my past 
So some of which happened at the Metropolitan Room, some were introduced at, at the Duplex or at Del Mama, um, but they've all been presented again uh, in 2015. We started in April, and um, this show, we did a, a different show each month. We did the Blues Show, then we did Cape Ballard in May, and then I did a 70s show in June, and then we took the summer off and came back with uh, both sides now. Um, and then coming up on Thursday is the last big full show, which is a show I did. Uh, one of my first shows called How About Them Apples, and it's just uh, just me and piano, uh, which is David Gaines, and it's more comic um, and a lot of stuff about sort of those, those pesky little things that kind of bug us or annoy us or just make us say, how about them apples, which was something my grandmother always said and I say it all the time. So it felt like sort of the perfect name for the show. Um, is, is there a song then, by that name? And if not, there when isn't, will there, there should be? We, we should write that. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about that. Absolutely. I, 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 I would like to hear that. And maybe a couple of Apple great. songs. And we can have it on Apple, Apple Records, yeah. you know. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so we're doing that on Thursday at 7. And then on uh, December 2nd, we're going to do a recap show of the entire series, uh, which is going to be crazy because it's all three musical directors, the entire band, anyone who's been in the band. Uh, at some point, is a part of this show on December 2nd. That sounds like the stateroom scene from A Night at the Opera. Yes, exactly. And somebody opens exactly. up the door and everybody falls out. And where's the, who, right. who gets to play Margaret right. Dumont? That's what I want to know. That's right. And you've seen the size of the Metropolitan Room stage. So yes, that's why I kind of am thinking that. the clowns are going on, but, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to make it work and uh, give you the, the cliff notes of the entire Ryan Hagen Redux series. I like that. That's great. <laughs> that's going to be fun. So we are uh, in in the last few minutes of the show. So is there anything else you would like to share with us before we go? And then I'm gonna I'm gonna play your song again and, oh, and pick gosh. up my guitar. Um, well, I look forward to hearing your guitar. Um, I think get come see the show if you're in New York. I would love that. And uh, I really well, I'm definitely coming. I'm there. To... Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I yeah. look forward to seeing you. And uh, just thank you. It's, it's been a lot of fun to talk to you. really enjoyed it. Thanks. And if anyone listening will remember, uh, you can go to uh, Gretchen's webpage. This is listed on my show page. You can just click on it, GretchenReinhagen.com. Come to the show if you're in New York. And yeah. you also get, for no additional charge, you get to meet Coach Andrew Porat. That's awesome right there. And, uh, again, you can find out more about me at MyFutureCoach.com. By the way, are you on Twitter? Yes. G. Ryan Hagen. Okay, G. Ryan Hagen. Okay, so we'll, I'm going to follow you. Okay. A- and then I'm going to play with you right now because we're going to we're going to go back back to the uh, to the radio uh, part here where I get to play a little song called "Good Thing Blues." Thank you so much, mm-hmm. Gretchen, for being my guest. Thank you, Andrew. And thanks to Richard Skipper for making this happen. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Just never worked out right. See, my life's been kind of rough. Cause I just can't get enough of a good thing. See, what I want, gotta have it now. And always seem to lose it somehow. I just can't. 
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good night.